Welcome to Amplify Your Process Safety, the podcast that provides the experience and expertise you need when it comes to process safety and risk management. Our hands-on approach will give you the insight needed, whether you're new to industry or process safety, in a role where you interact with aspects of process safety, or an experienced process safety professional. Join us in our mission to protect people, the companies they work for, and the communities where they operate by making process safety knowledge available to all. Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome back to the Amplify Your Process Safety Podcast. This is Rob Bartlett, and today I am joined by Joe Pastor. Hey, Joe. Hey, everyone. What are we going to be talking about today? Today, we are going to be talking about another acronym because we love acronyms. Today is going to be about yep, CMMS, which stands for Computerized Maintenance Management Systems. Okay, so we're going to be talking about maintenance today. We're going to be talking about asset management. And I guess in particular, we're going to be talking about how can companies and facilities use a CMMS to help to manage their assets in a way that hopefully meets regulatory requirements, but also keeps everybody safe, keeps hazardous materials inside pipes, et cetera, correct? Exactly. And so today we're really just going to talk about everything CMMS related from a really high level. So from all the way from what is it to some considerations you should make when you're selecting it, implementing it, kind of some considerations that you should make as you have it for a longer period of time and things in your facility are changing. So this is going to be a good episode if you are currently using a paper-based work order system. This is also going to be a good episode for you if you're considering switching over to a CMMS system. And it's even going to be a good episode for you, especially towards the end, if you already have a CMMS system and you're maybe struggling with some issues related to like personnel changes, or if you're not really using the data inside to kind of help you improve. So it should be a good episode for a wide group of folks. So we'll go ahead and get started then. So let's start off with an easy question. So what is a CMMS? Well, just as the name indicates, a CMMS is a computerized maintenance management system. Now these go back a long ways. People have been using computers to manage their assets, to manage PMs and all that sort of stuff for a long time. And the CMMS platforms have really come a long way in that time. And Joe, we we come across them, obviously, when we deal with with various clients. What are some of the popular platforms that we see out there? Yeah, like you mentioned, there's a ton. We've seen SAP, EAM, we've seen eMaint, also Lumen, which is spelled with two L's, um, and then Assesis and Hippo, just to name a few. So These are all CMMS systems that you can get today, but there are many, many others, and they really just are the place where you're managing all of your work orders and so also managing your assets as well through through that work. I was just going to say that years ago, again, I'm dating myself a little bit here. Now, just for the record, I, I don't go all the way back to when people were using paper all the time. So when I first started there, we were using CMMSs, but they were very, very basic, all like mainframe based. And, you know, back, you know, even 10, 10 or 15 years ago, a lot of these platforms resided on your own, on your, like on your company server, or maybe just like a piece of software on an individual 
PC or something like that. Nowadays, uh, these platforms are virtually all web-based, so there's no need for having to, you know, maintain the software on your own systems. They really have made it very, and some of these, some of the, the platforms that you mentioned make it just very easy to kind of get off the ground with this sort of a process. So Joe, we've been involved with this for a few clients, and that is like selecting, right? So you mentioned a few of them, EAM, SAP, Hippo, CSIS. What should we be thinking of if, if I'm if I'm in a company and I've got to, you know, I've been told, hey, we're going to we're going to allow the facility or the company to implement a CMMS. OK, what should I be thinking about when we're talking about selection criteria? Yeah, so I would definitely say that try to get as many demos as you can. And I recommend this anytime you're looking at any platform. So same for like an MOC platform. But yeah, do the demos, you know, come prepared with a list of questions about functionality. Think about what's really important for you. What are you trying to accomplish? What are kind of like your areas that you're not willing to make any compromises? That way you can really narrow it down. But you also want to think about a few other things while you're in those demos. So ask about boot camps or courses that are available to get your people trained up. Sometimes these can be really expensive. Sometimes they have to be done in person. Sometimes they've got good remote options. And I have seen companies that previously didn't offer remote offerings. Now they do that post-COVID. So that's been kind of a positive thing that's come out of, of that. Think about if you're going to have to hire an outside consultant. There are lots of consultants that specialize in CMMS platforms, and they maybe only use one, like they are, you know, the SAP experts. But there's also people that feel comfortable across multiple platforms. And so just think about if you're going to be able to budget for that kind of support um, or if that's even needed. Maybe you have enough manpower internally to take care of that, but it's just something to think about. Also, usually you'll have some sort of resources that are provided as a part of your licensing from the platform people. So, you know, in addition to just like the account manager, you may have like a dedicated specialist that helps you with implementation or they have different packages sometimes where you can pay for a certain amount of support to kind of get you up and running. And you can also pay for support on an ongoing basis. But some platforms also have free support available all the time. I know that when I help clients with emaint, they've got a really great chat feature. And if it's something that's not as difficult or it's not like a, something where you're trying to like change the product, they're available a lot of the time um, and they can help you out relatively quickly. So be sure to ask about resources, training, things like that. Also think about your users. Think about who's going to be a super user. Think about like different levels of permission that you're going to allow. You can think about maybe how many people that you want to involve in this system, and that'll help you answer the question about number of licenses, which of course will give you the best pricing information. Um, so that, that is usually how a lot of these platforms are priced um, is per, per user. And you can also think about how you may want to limit the information for your users as well through things like permanent filters. So you could ask if that's possible, if you want to kind of like remove a lot of the noise for some of your users, especially if you've got multiple sites and you don't need them to see everything. So that's definitely a consideration as well when you're kind of thinking about the setup and like what areas you'll have listed in the system. So I know that's a lot to think about, but just some things to get you started on your lists while you're selecting among these platforms. Yeah, those are those are all good all, all good thoughts. I want to throw one other one in there, and that is 
that you really need to do some thinking about how to make sure that the platform that you choose is fit for purpose. You don't want to spend the money to buy a Ferrari if all you need is a nice, reliable Ford Escape. You want to have the type of software that meets the needs that you're going to have without a lot of bells and whistles that you're not going to use. I've seen many companies that spend for kind of high-end CMMS platforms, and then literally all they use it for is PMs. It's like they don't use it for scheduling. They don't use it for budgeting. They don't use it for troubleshooting. They don't use it for documents. They don't use it for any of the things that these these platforms can be made to to kind of accomplish for you. And so you really end up wasting a lot of money and um, have a lot of options that you just don't use. We all we all know, you know, we all, all have software that we've bought that's like that. So this is no different. You, you want to make sure that you understand what you're going to be doing with the platform to make sure that, it, that what you actually spend the money on is a good fit. So make sure it's fit for purpose. Yeah, that's a good point. As you mentioned, if you're paying for something really fancy and then you either don't have like the interest or the manpower to use all of the bells and whistles, um, then it's really just best to pick a better, more fit for purpose platform. And um, as I can personally tell you, it is not fun to switch between them. So (laughs) I would say (laughs) once you select one, you're pretty handcuffed to it unless you want to really start all the way over with implementation, which is actually what we're going to talk about next. So at this point, let's say that you've already selected your platform. And so tell us a little bit, Rob, about what we do next. So we've got our licenses. Where do we go from here with this like blank platform? Well, part of, I mean, there's, you've got a blank platform. So the first thing you got to do is you got to start putting some information in there. And generally this starts with some sort of an equipment list. This is a kind of a difficult, difficult area to really give blanket advice because it really there's a lot of things that go into determining what information you're going to add but at the very least you need to have your major pieces of equipment your major assets in the system because that's what you're going to be writing work orders against and scheduling pms and maybe putting documentation in against all all those assets and the way that normally people do this is at least for process equipment is using pnids However, obviously, there's other assets that we need to to maintain that may not be in PNIDs, and the depending on the state of your facility, you may not even have PNIDs for a lot of this stuff. But certainly, one of the best practices for at least getting that initial list of uh, equipment into your platform, uh, into your CMMS, is by using the PNIDs. But that really the 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 big piece there is we can't do anything in this asset management system unless we have some assets in there. Right. Yep. That's definitely a good starting point. Some things to consider when you're making that equipment list and capturing information from your drawings or other places like job books. Think about if you need to define safety criticality at all. So if you've got safeguards, maybe you want to note that in a special way, and this is handled differently across different platforms, but is something that would be important to flag at this point, just to make sure that those are being maintained and kind of to help you prioritize workload if preventive maintenance comes up for these and you've got to kind of choose. So defining safety criticality is something that you can do while you're building this list. Like I mentioned before, you can capture all sorts of information. You can also usually upload any sort of documents that you want to have within your CMMS system. So if you've got like equipment drawings, you want 
forms, pressure relief calculations. So anything that you may need to reference, this is kind of a nice landing spot for it. And then of course, you'll also have work order history that builds over time. So capture as much as you can, which is easier said than done. And then that also kind of brings us to talking about the level of detail that you want to get into when you're thinking about what all needs to be captured as a piece of equipment. Like Rob mentioned, some people use PNIDs as kind of like the rule. They say if it's on a PNID, we're going to put it in our system. But there's also other items like fire extinguishers. And it's like, are you going to capture all of those individually? Are you going to create an asset that's just kind of like you were mentioning earlier, like building one fire extinguishers? So, you know, what what are people maybe going to need when they put in a corrective work order? And so you'll have to think about making sure that that's there for them in order to do that. And then also, what are you absolutely going to need in there so that you can put in preventive or like recurring work for it as well? So that's, like you said, not a not a straightforward answer, but some things to consider when you're thinking about loading your equipment into the CMMS platform. Yeah. Yeah, I've had some I've had some folks that I've worked with that have it kind of run the gamut. Like uh, some people have, you know, their assets are basically at at the level of like an equipment set. So they actually have like a reactor, a distillation column, a pump, a receiver, all on one as one asset. To me, that seems far too big, right? I mean, it, it, there's there's things that you're going to do on your on your reactor that you want to make sure that you capture independent of any work that you have to do on the pump or whatever. But then I've also seen it the other way where, where folks will have actually taken, I guess, the whole PNID rule, taken that to an extreme and actually had different asset numbers all the way down to like manual valves. So if you do that, it, it can get tedious. Obviously, it's a lot of work to get it in. Obviously, it's a lot of work to maybe maintain that information in an accurate way for how much value. And this is just like so many things that we do, right? It's a trade-off, right? How, how much time and resources and energy, and what's the value we're going to get out of that? So the right answer is somewhere in between. And uh, some, as, as Joe said, the safety criticality, I think what, you know, for what we tend to talk about, right, which is PSM and, and RMP type processes, in order to meet those regulatory requirements, we at least need to have assets in there that are aligned with what our inspection testing and preventive maintenance program is as required by the mechanical integrity parts of those standards. So that's kind of that's at least going to be the minimum. And as Joe said before, any if you've got PA, uh, safeguards that are used in PHAs, those obviously need to be somehow accounted for in your asset management system. So Again, as we're starting out and we're implementing this, right, the, the key here is we've thrown a bunch of stuff out, but the key here is that you need to make some sort of a decision about the level of detail you're going to get to when adding the assets into your system. So once we have that sort of information in, in there, Joe, what, what's, uh, what are some of the other things we should think about? Yeah, so also as part of your implementation, you'll want to explore the customization that's available to you on the platform you selected. So some of these forms are going to be really rigid. You know, you get what you get. Some of them are going to be basically a blank canvas. So depending on what you selected, you'll want to think about the customization that's possible. So you'll have to think about which fields you want on a work order form, which fields you want on a work order request form, things like that, which fields you want on your equipment records, you know, do you want to get really specific and have a field for 
each you know spec or do you want to just have like an equipment information field that's just longer text so in your implementation journey you'll want to think about the setup for these fields because there are some repercussions if this is done poorly and it is sometimes harder to fix down the line but it's normally really great when you have these options as long as you've taken time to consider them and kind of made some choices that you think will be beneficial to you going forward when you use this platform so just yeah keep in mind what can be customized and and involve the right parties for determining what fields you should use if you do have the flexibility another thing to think about here is and we'll go through a lot of different parts of this but essentially resources so you know you've bought this platform but there's lots of automations involved but it's you know it's not uh, its own entity so there are going to have to be people involved with it so Think about who's going to do what. Do you have a planner? What does your workflow ideally look like day to day? And again, this gets into some of these systems are really rigid. The workflow only works a certain way. Some of them are totally customizable. You know, you can have where you select this option and it emails this person. You have a lot of flexibility sometimes in what the workflow looks like all the way from work order requests to the work order generation to closure. So you do definitely want to sit down and think about what your ideal path is for that whole cycle of getting work done. Some other things to consider here are mobile apps. So some of these platforms do have that available and kind of how will you leverage that? Who's going to be a mobile app user? How does that fit into your workflow and, and people getting things done? You'll also think about permissions, like who can create a work order, who has to go through the request channel. Maybe you even want to limit who can create a request. On the same note, you'll think about who is going to be allowed to close work orders. What sort of level of review do we want there? How limited do we want that to be? And normally, like I mentioned before, you have a lot of options here with customization, but these are really important questions to have answers to so that you can get your platform up and running in the way that you plan to actually get work done. And as part of this, you'll, of course, need to think about how many licenses and users you'll need. I've seen lots of cases where one license is used for a whole department, and, and sometimes that's okay if they're not all going to be in there at the same time. Sometimes they want it to be a little bit more individualized so that it keeps a better like audit trail of who's doing what, but you do have options. And then a lot of times there's even additional things tied into more than just the work orders, like inventory and, and stock rooms and purchasing. So you'll want to think about if you're going to be using those features, who else is going to be involved in that? How What's the relationship going to be like? You're going to have to also do implementation and setup for those pieces as well. So lots of questions to ask yourself, but really about resources and how you plan to actually get the work done. Before we move on from that, Joe, I just want to circle back to the, the mobile apps. Most, I, I, I think this is true, most of these platforms have some sort of mobile app at this point where essentially your maintenance technicians or planners, supervisors, whoever, can actually use an app on their phone or on an iPad and use that to take pictures of equipment to you know put, take pictures of problems that that people are seeing or or even video to go through um, actually go through a checklist if you've got to do some sort of inspection 
You can put the checklist in. It pops up on the mobile app, and now you have the person remotely, uh, no piece of paper, just uses the phone or iPad and does their checklist. So there's a lot. There's uh, it's it's much more efficient and saves time and uh, certainly saves resources for those uh, facilities that are stretched and what facilities aren't stretched for resources nowadays. So I definitely, if, if there's some sort of option for that, it, I think uh, in my experience, I think in our experience, it's definitely worthwhile to, uh, to explore that. So the next thing I wanted to touch on was the fact that, you know, we put our, we, we've put some assets in, we've thought about how we're going to be managing this, but at some point you've got to start building your PMs and your recurring work, et cetera. You know, generally there's two types of work orders that we do, right? Two types of work. One is is reactive, right? Something broke down, I got to go fix it. Okay, so that's a that's a, a normal work order. But then we've got planned maintenance, preventive maintenance, predictive maintenance. What we want to do with those is we want to make sure that we know what what equipment needs to have that sort of PM work done on it. We want to build procedures. And in those procedures, we want to put that, at, if we can, put those procedures in the work orders so everybody knows exactly where to go to find them. Everybody's maintaining things the same way. And also when you do build procedures, often you can use similar procedures for similar equipment. So the PM for a centrifugal pump may be very similar no matter what type of pump it is. So um, you can create one uh, one procedure for that and then just copy it across all of the centrifugal pumps. You wanna obviously think about scheduling and available resources that are gonna be allowed to, number one, use the system, but then also gonna be available to you to actually do the work. And usually, in my experience, usually there's some sort of feature within there, like a personnel feature, where you add those people in so that you can say, oh, Joe Mechanic was the one who fixed that. And that way you build that history and also in case you need it for some accountability. The issue between shadow versus static PMs, you got to think about which type is needed for what type of work is being done. Is the PM coming from compliance? Is the PM coming from a quality issue? Uh, you know, are, how is the due date of, the, of those, how are the due dates for those PMs being determined? And you want to make sure that, you, that you've got your system set up to be able to uh, handle both of those types. And again, you, you've got um, another option that we've seen people use for their CMMS platforms is compliance-related PMs. And really, this is using the routine action function of these to schedule things like five-year PHAs or three every three-year compliance audits. Maybe you have you know environmental testing that has to be done every year, stuff like that. So this that's another way that you can use PMs and recurring work orders to make sure that you stay in compliance, not just with asset management, but also with other pieces of the compliance issues that we have. Definitely, and that is something that's that I've seen used quite a bit for anything that's recurring across any sort of health and safety requirements or you know environmental requirements, DOT requirements. So you can definitely leverage the fact that these programs are built for recurring work and they do it very well to help with anything else that you want to track. And that's not to say it can fully replace like an action item tracking platform. It really doesn't. Um, you're still going to want to track like PHA action items and MOC action items and things like that on a separate platform. But for anything that you have that's recurring, this is a nice spot to be able to do it. And you can kind of keep it related to 
whatever it applies to. So I have seen where, you know, they'll create a placeholder for the whole plant. And so uh, it'll be the plant will basically be put in as if it were a piece of equipment. And that's what yeah. you can use as the piece of equipment for some of these compliance related PMs. So it definitely can do that pretty well. Uh, one thing to think about as you get further along. So this is post implementation is, you know, you've put in a lot of time and effort up to this point. How do you plan <laughs> to keep your CMMS updated? Because you're not going to be magically done on a certain date. We know, of course, that equipment We're changes not, all the time. But, but, I, <laughs> but I just put this in. I put it in now. There's stuff I've got to do on an ongoing basis. I don't like this. Yes. Yep, for sure. And so, you know, if you're at a PSM facility, you, of course, need to have a management of change process. And so that's really going to be the driver for getting your CMMS updated. So you'll definitely want to ensure that you've got some sort of like checklist where someone can indicate if the change is going to result in any sort of update being needed to CMMS, or you can have just like a default kind of requirement or action item for your MOCs to, you know, make any applicable updates. And this applies, of course, too, to like putting anything out of service. Well, you probably can indicate within your CMMS that this equipment is no longer available, or you may have a field for out of service date. You may want to go turn off the, all the PMs so that you don't have work orders coming out for equipment that you're not running. So same thing for if you're moving equipment around. One of the companies that I work with a lot within their CMMS, they move their field compression quite a bit. And so we go in there and we update the site where these units are listed at. And, you know, we update anything else that's relevant or, you know, if they swap out an engine, we'll go add a new asset, things like that. So you just want to make sure that you are planning to keep CMMS updated regardless of what changes are happening with all the equipment that you either are already managing in there or that you may add. And so you'll want to think about who's going to do this, how you can best build it into your processes, how you can make sure that this gets done in a timely manner, et cetera. Part of this is also going to relate to any sort of personnel changes that are relevant to your CMMS. So as people get hired, as people leave, as people maybe change departments, who is going to take care of making those updates within CMMS? Because as you mentioned before, Rob, you normally do have to load your people into CMMS so that you can assign work to them. So you'll want to think about, as there are personnel changes, who's going to make sure that that piece of CMMS is also updated. And sometimes we also can include contractors. So Rob, do you want to talk a little bit about what that can look like? Well, yeah. So some some companies, you know, don't really have much of an internal maintenance program. So they will actually pull their contractors into their CMMS. So what does that look like? Well, sometimes it looks like uh, contractors who are helping actually with develop, maintain, etc. The CMMS. Those people get pulled in. And uh, Joe, you and I are both in the CMMS platforms for various companies because we've helped them with their MI programs. So there's that level of involvement all the way down to, you know, we have contract companies that are doing electrical work or we have contract companies that are doing, you know, the fire system, PM, stuff like that. And instead of printing everything out and, and, and giving it to somebody when they come on site, they're actually embedded in the, into the system so that they get notified of if there's a work order that needs to get done, they get notified of that and then they can go into the system and actually update its status or complete it, you know, all that sort of stuff. So 
you may, depending on the level and the type of work that contractors do on your site, you may want to consider bringing them into the system. Obviously, there's licensing involved in all that stuff, so there there probably would be a cost for it. But there's a benefit to there. It would be a you know a payback for that cost because it helps to make your system more efficient. And that, of course, is one of the whole reasons for getting a CMMS to begin with. So consider that. What other, what are, we've got a couple other issues I think we wanted to cover, Joe. What, uh, what's the next one? Yeah, so next is paper records. So normally you have the option to print these work orders, even though they are electronic work orders. So you may want to think about what actually needs to be printed. Some people just prefer to get work done that way. You know, they print everything that's assigned to them as kind of like a way to work through it. But in some cases, you may be like recording something. If it's kind of like calibration or a test, sometimes you may be like checking steps off. So you'll want to consider what needs to be printed and what maybe also needs to be uploaded before closing the work order. And there are some cases where you may say nothing needs to be done. We can indicate everything that was done through comments and closing out the work order. So you'll want to kind of define what the expectations are so that you have more uniformity across your organization with how work is kind of documented within the system. Um, so paper considerations are one of the things that you may think about. Before you move on, though, I just wanted to just point out that uploading electronic records, whether they're electronic, let's just say, say scanned in versions of, of closed work orders to use that as a record, or whether that's you know documentation for assets or whether that's documentation of external testing that's done. For instance, if you have an API 510 report that a company sends you for a pressure vessel, why not take that PDF? Because they probably send it to you as a PDF, take that PDF and upload it into your asset management system. And now no matter what anybody does, they can very easily get to the last inspection report for that piece of equipment. It's a balancing act, right? Like, you know, we can all spend all of our time managing our CMMS and never actually doing work or never actually getting things done. Uh, we don't want to do that, but we also want to do enough work so that we're getting the maximum advantage out of having this computerized system. So anyway, so you should definitely be 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 thinking about that. And, and I highly, I recommend, you know, within reason that folks upload everything that they can into the CMMS because it's just the easiest way to, to keep track of things and to find things. Okay, and I think the last thing that we want to talk about was reporting and dashboards. So two things that you should be considering here related to asset management is what KPIs are going to be important to you? Because when you set up your system, you want to set it up so that it will be easy to get those, get that information out. Are you worried about uptime? Are you worried about mean time to failure? Are you worried about what's the average length of time that a PM is over, is overdue, the number of overdue PMs. There's a lot of KPIs that you can use. So what are they? Know those up front so that you, so that you can hopefully build the system to make it easy as easy as possible to extract that information on a routine basis because you'll need that to manage the plant. And then the last one that, that we had on our list here was what sort of automated reports do you need? Many of these platforms have loads and loads and loads of automated reports that you can do, some customizable, some not customizable. So spend the time upfront to understand what, what the options are and to understand what customization options that you might have so that you can make sure that you're getting the information out. Because one of the benefits of, you know, of a CMM 
S is to be able to get that information out easily. And we want to do it easily because if it's going to, if it's difficult for us to get it out, then we're probably not going to do it. We're not going to have time. We're not going to have the um, attention to do it. So think about it up front. What sorts of automated reports do you need? What information does the plant manager or senior management need? Uh, what information do you need to come up with on a routine basis for maybe for regulators? I mean, there's all sorts of places where you could need this information. Thinking about that up front and working it out with your with your CMMS vendor will save you time down the road. Do you have anything to add there, Jeff? Yeah, just a couple things. You mentioned that kind of like as you use the system, that's you know what's generating records and work order history, and that's really valuable. And so, as you mentioned, many things that you may decide to track, but a couple of things that are also useful is, you know, if you're noticing reliability issues with certain pieces of equipment, you can certainly look at the work order history. You can see how many requests are going in for corrective work. And so it kind of tells the story of what's going on with your equipment over time. And it may influence some decisions to, you know, replace it or to do maintenance maybe a little bit more often to make it run smoother. Additionally, you know, you may be seeing, like you mentioned, you've got a lot of work that's staying open for a long time. So do you need to train your people? Is that like an issue where they don't know how to close it out in the system? Is that an issue where you just don't have enough people? You know, you can use the information, just like I mentioned with the equipment, you can use information about open work to kind of determine and make the case for personnel changes. You know, maybe you need to, if possible, kind of beef up your maintenance staff, or maybe you need an administrator to help with work order closure or something like that. So the more that you use the system, the more valuable the data inside will be for influencing decisions that are kind of related to your maintenance system. And that's really, I think, all that we planned to cover today. We know that was quite a bit, but hopefully we've given you some good things to think about if you are considering starting to use a CMMS. And hopefully we've given some things for you to think about if you're currently using one. Maybe you hadn't really considered building it into your MOC process or something, or maybe you hadn't thought about all of the reporting capabilities. So hopefully you found some value in this episode, regardless of where you are kind of on your CMMS journey. Well, and of course, you know, we could probably talk about this for another two or three episodes as I've had many thoughts as we've been talking about other things that we could say. So, but we want to keep these episodes manageable. So we will cut it off here. If you do have a comment about this episode, an idea for a future episode or a question about anything process safety related, don't hesitate to reach out to us. Send us a voicemail using the link in our episode description, or you can always send us an email podcast at amplifyconsultants.com. You also can uh, re- just reach out on our website as well, and we'd be happy to uh, happy to interact with you. Definitely. And we do have a couple of other episodes that are kind of related that we recommend if you want to learn a little bit more. So we'll link to these in our episode description as well, but they are going to be episode one, which was titled Intro to Mechanical Integrity and Ragagap. We've also got PSM Back to Basics Part 6 on Mechanical Integrity. And this is kind of similar, so we'll go ahead and link to it as well. Uh, which is episode 18 on PSM management systems. And we do talk a little bit in that episode about other types of electronic management systems that can help you with PSM compliance. So that could be helpful to you as well. 
if you're interested in uh, learning about like an MOC platform or an action item tracking platform. So we do recommend listening to those if you haven't. And we do have a full library of, gosh, I think we have over 90 episodes at this point. So if you're listening for the first time, welcome and uh, be sure to listen to everything that we've got in our library. Yeah, you're, you're, you're talking about the MOC, the other, other types of management systems. It just made me think how it's all connected. And my daughter would think that I was being remiss if I did not mention there's a show called Manifest. And one of the taglines of that of that of that show is it's all connected. Well, in the process safety systems and process safety world, it is all connected. And we talk about that over and over again with folks for PSM and, and for RMP as well. It's all connected. And definitely, if you have other platforms, you want to make sure that they're going to talk to each other. So. Okay, our goal here at Amplify Process Safety is to save lives by partnering with companies that handle highly hazardous chemicals to create world-class process safety systems as we feel that these systems will help prevent catastrophic events like fires, explosions, and toxic releases. Please don't hesitate to reach out to us if we can help you on your process safety journey. And with that, I will thank you for listening. Joe, I will thank you for helping me today. And until next time, Be safe out there. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of Amplify Your Process Safety. Head to our website, AmplifyConsultants.com, to find our show notes and other resources. Thank you for joining us in our mission to ultimately save lives by advancing process safety right here on Amplify Your Process Safety. Until next time.